it's so good when I hear the kids sing louder than the adults. This is awesome. Uh, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to, to Mark's Gospel. I want to thank Ryan uh, and Matt last week for, for leading in worship, and Dave Upchurch who came and, and brought the Word of God. Uh, what a blessing to have men in our presbytery are willing to come and to, to fill the pulpit, and uh, just so thankful for that. But it's good to be back in the Gospel of Mark once again. So let me read from Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. So let's give attention to God's Word. On that day, that is the day that Jesus was teaching the crowd about the kingdom of God, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray once again. O oh Lord, we're so thankful for your word that you give to us. God, I pray this morning that as we listen carefully to the preaching of the word of God, that you would open our hearts and our lives, Lord, to, to see that you are, are speaking to us right where we're at and the things, Lord, that we wrestle with, the temptations that we encounter. Uh, but you are a God that doesn't just speak words that, that help us out or, or, or fix us a little bit. But you speak to us words of life. Words, Lord, that we can trust in, that we can place our hope in you, knowing that you are a God that loves us and cares for us, uh, even in the midst of the difficulties of our lives. So give us ears to hear, O oh God, and hearts, Lord, of praise and worship as we respond to your word this day. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, this morning as we, we come to this very familiar story of Jesus calming the storm, uh, you know, it's, it's really important for us to, as we think about our approach to God's Word, because I think sometimes it's not uncommon when we read the Bible to think that it's about us. You know, have you ever been in Bible studies where the first question is, is how does this speak to you? You know, what is this, how, you know, what, what is this... Uh, you know, what does this mean to you? And it's always about us and, and stuff. But uh, when we come to accounts like this, with Jesus calming the storm, we typically can sometimes read this story as a sort of a lovely story. It's a story of comfort where we can walk away and people, you might have heard people say, well, it's a story that tells us that Jesus calms the storms of our lives. You know, that, that he, no matter what, he is there. And the main use of Jesus in the story is to rescue his disciples. The disciples take center stage. 
And so we oftentimes, as we read this, think that we take center stage. But, but that only distorts the real point of the passage, which is focused not upon the disciples. It's not focused upon us, but really the focus is Jesus. The focus is Jesus and his identity. And that's really summed up as you look at the end of this account in verse 41, where we read, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And that's the question that we are to be to leave this room with this morning, that we are to grapple with as we come to the end of Mark chapter 4. Who is this Jesus who has come, and how ought I to respond to him? And so there's three things that we're going to see this morning about Jesus as we look at this text. But before we get there, let me just look at the context a little bit of this. Um, very significant storm. A couple of weeks ago, we saw where Jesus was teaching the crowds and he was teaching to them the, the parable of the sower, which was really talking about the kingdom of God and, and how even God takes the very small things, the things that the world considers as insignificant, and he establishes his kingdom in a mighty and a powerful way. Even though the kingdom looks weak and frail, because it starts out with a dying Savior and this little group of disciples that after Jesus' crucifixion are hiding and they're very timid and until Christ comes back. You know, this kingdom, this gospel message is going to grow. It's going to cover the, the whole world. And it's going to become so great that even as he says, the birds of the air will find rest in, in this, uh, this, um, this tree um, in, in the kingdom of God. And so the nations of the world will find their refuge in the kingdom of God. And so we see Jesus revealing to his disciples his kingly power. But also, as you look forward in this text to chapter 5, even the text today uh, with the calming of the storm and the healing of the demon-possessed man in chapter 5, and then if you flip over the page and look at the healing of the, the sick woman and the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead, even in these instances, too, he just further conveys his kingly power. And so he is saying to his disciples, do you guys really now begin to grasp and to understand who I am? I am a great king who rules over all. Even the forces of nature are subject to me. The powers of darkness must bow down to me. Sin, sorrow, and even death itself are subject to me. And with such a king as I am, how could God's kingdom ever fail? I, I will build my church as I am a great king who has dominion over all things. With world events, you know, freshen our mind with the Taliban and, and all that's going on in Afghanistan. Brothers and sisters, this is a message we need to be reminded of this morning. We need to be reminded that no matter what are the things that are happening in this world, that our King, Jesus, is the King of Kings, and He is the Lord of Lords. And, you know, that's the message I hear coming out of the news stories of Afghanistan as I read pages that pastors are posting things, and they're just praying. They're saying, oh, pray for us, brothers and sisters. Pray that we would keep our eyes upon King Jesus, who is the ruler over all. It's a tough time. We are struggling it's easy to doubt. It's easy to fear. But pray that we would keep our eyes upon Jesus. So this story of, 
of the calming of the sea is not some just event or some story the kids learn in Sunday school. This is a reality of where we live our lives each and every day. And, and, and for the church around the world, this is a very real thing that we need to keep in mind. And so Jesus is seeking to focus the hearts and the minds of his disciples upon himself. And I pray this morning that as we leave this place, that that's where our hearts will be focused upon Jesus and upon him to grasp who he is and to allow the reality to undergird your faith and give you encouragement. So let's give attention this morning to this passage as we look at three things that we'll see about Jesus today. Uh, the first thing is this, that Jesus leads us into the overwhelming circumstances of life. That Jesus is often the one who leads us into the overwhelming circumstances of life. And we see that in verses 35 through 37. You know, Jesus has been teaching all day long in this boat to these, this crowd that's sitting on the shore. And uh, historians and archeologists and stuff have looked at this part of the world and they said it creates a sort of a natural amphitheater. And so it was the perfect place for Jesus to be. But the crowd was so pressing in on him, he, he stepped back and he got into a boat. And so he's in the boat and he's teaching to the people on the land and he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. But now it comes to the end of the day and Jesus is still in that same boat. And if you look at verse 35, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says to them, let's go to the other side of the lake. And it was Jesus' idea to go to the other side of the lake where his disciples would find himself engulfed in this terrible storm. Now, it wasn't uncommon for storms to come up on the Sea of Galilee. I mean, uh, most people know just with the geography of this sea, it's like 600 feet below sea level. And then you have all these mountains that are around it that it wouldn't be uncommon for the winds to come down and to descend upon this lake very quickly and sharply. And even to this day, from what I understand from the things that I have read, that a storm can arise on the surface of the Sea of Galilee within what just seems like a few minutes. It just like that quickly can come upon you. And, and for these men, many of these disciples were fishermen. And so I'm guessing they probably knew this lake pretty well and understood these storms and so they weren't easily frightened with just a little bit of storm because they knew that. They probably had experienced those things many, many times. But here in our text today, it says that they are terrified. So this must have been a, quite an intense storm. Actually, the word that Mark uses for storm is the same word that sometimes refers to a whirlwind or, or it could even refer to, from what I understand, hurricane-type winds. And I know from living in Florida, at least by our modern standards, uh, hurricane winds started about 45 miles an hour. So we're talking about very, very, very intense winds. And we're told that the wind and the waves are now breaking over the boat, and the boat is filling with water, and the boat has begun to sink, which uh, brings us to our second point. And that is, not only does Jesus lead us to... Uh, overwhelming circumstances of life, but Jesus also tests us in the overwhelming circumstances of life as well for our own good. He does so for our own good. You see, as, as a result of, of being afraid of the storm and being in the midst of this, the, the disciples are terrified. 
And so they wake Jesus up in verse 40 or uh, verse 38, and they say to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, now notice the title that they use for Jesus, teacher. Um, it's really the first time that Mark uses this title for Christ. And it is a suitable title uh, because he spent the whole day teaching and, and preaching uh, the gospel to the crowds and explaining the message to his disciples. And, and it has a very special relevance and meaning to the disciples themselves because when they were alone together, Jesus explained to them particularly and in intimate detail all that he was teaching the crowd. And so we read in, in verse 11 of chapter 4 how Jesus told the disciples, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. And, and even in verse 34, he, he says that he didn't speak to the crowds unless he spoke to them in a parable. But privately to his disciples, he explained everything. So when they call him teacher, that's a term of special significance for the disciples because it, it, he wasn't just teaching them generally, he was sort of bringing them into the inner insights of the things that, that he was saying. He had been intimately involved in discipling and unpacking the message and showing them and laboring to teach them who he is and why he has come. The significance of the breaking in of the kingdom of God in the middle of history and his arrival of his public ministry. And, and yet, for all this private instruction that Jesus had given to them, uh, for all their privileged access, for all the intimate discipleship that they enjoyed, as they're out in the water that night with the wind and the waves swamping the boat, it's clearly that they had not grasped the secret of the kingdom of God at all and the power of Christ as its king. Now, the question uh, that is given here, you know, do you not care that we perish, uh, really in the Greek is a statement, you know, in the form of a question. So you might translate it something like this, teacher, you don't care that we're perishing. You know, so in one sense, the disciples, what they're doing is actually accusing Jesus making an accusation of him. The fact that the boat's filling rapidly with water and their distance from the shore and the fierceness of the storm. On that dark night, all that they had been taught in the daylight and the sunshine and the beautiful weather, all of that just sort of went out the window. They hadn't really taken to heart the things that, that they had occurred. And so now they begin to accuse him. And they begin to accuse him that he does not love them. Clearly, you don't care that we're perishing. That's the sense in which they were speaking to Jesus. So the storms outside the boat really had caused quite a storm of a different kind inside the boat in the hearts of the disciples. They were feeling the torment and the, the turmoil of the circumstances in which they were in. And to make matters worse, they find themselves in trouble because they were obeying Jesus. The disciples were doing what Jesus had commanded them to do. They were rowing across the lake. And that's where some of us may find ourselves today. Because brothers and sisters, it's so easy for us to do that, is it not? As we find ourselves in the difficulties and the trials of life to say, Oh God, do you not love me? Why are you bringing these things into my life? It's 
especially if you've been so faithful to follow Jesus. You've been reading his word. You've been applying it. You've been seeing such growth in your faith. And in the midst of obedience to Jesus as an act of discipleship to Jesus, then trouble comes unsolicited. Or as we would say, it just comes out of the blue. And, and, we, and we see that. And it can tempt us so much to question God's goodness. It is in those times that we can think that life is all about us. We can think that Jesus has let us down because he has somehow failed to meet our needs. It's so easy for us in those times to say, it is Jesus' job to love me. It's Jesus' job to rescue me. It's Jesus' job to get me out of this mess. Okay, we, we, we understand that we may need to suffer a little bit to learn a lesson. But when we go through those ongoing trials in our lives, those horrific things, those things that we have prayed for, almost like Paul where he has said, Lord, please take away this thorn of the flesh. He, I, I'm struggling with this. And the Lord says what? My grace is sufficient for you. It is on those ongoing or horrific times of suffering that we oftentimes struggle. And so we can be tempted to cry out to Jesus and to say, look at this nightmare, Jesus. You, you can't possibly care for me in the light of all this. After all, being out here, there on the lake that night, uh, these disciples easily could think that he did not care. So what are we to make of that? Well, Sinclair Ferguson in his commentary on this passage, he says, sometimes we find ourselves in difficulties because of our own sin and foolishness. But there are times when the Lord himself leads us into difficulties. Contrary to the picture sometimes painted of the Christian life, Jesus didn't solve all the disciples' problems and protect them from trials and perplexities. In fact, sometimes he led them quite deliberately into them. You see, the disciples had misread providence. They had misunderstood what was going on to them. The storm until, until which Jesus led them uh, was really uh, a sign that he did not care for them. But the truth is that Jesus had led them into the storm simply because he did love them. It, it's also important that we understand that, that Jesus uh, was one who had been led into the storms of life as well. Do you remember after Christ was, was baptized, he came up out of the water and immediately the Holy Spirit did what? He led him into the wilderness to be tempted and to suffer. Now, those were very real struggles for Jesus. I think we can look at his, we can look at his temptations and we can think, oh, well, he was God. He, he can, he's tough. He can take it. But he was fully man as well. And those struggles and those things he went through. And in the same way that Jesus was led into the overwhelming circumstances of life by the Holy Spirit, so Jesus leads his disciples into the overwhelming circumstances of life. He is patterning the lives of his disciples after his own. And what the Holy Spirit produced in Christ, he comes to produce in the lives of his disciples. You know, rarely uh, are lessons learned in the classroom. I'm not saying never, but rarely. As a matter of fact, there are some lessons we can only learn in the storms of life. And as we apply to our hearts what we know in our heads, then sometimes we can really learn the things that God is teaching us to learn and to know Him. It sort of reminds me what Luther said 
uh, his observation about uh, a theologian. He says it takes three things to make a theologian. Prayer, meditation, you know what the third one is? Trials. Trials. Not prayer, to, to pray, to commune with God, meditation, to, to reflect upon his word, but also those trials to bring that reality, that understanding to be part of our lives, that we would not just know these things in our heads, but we would know God as he truly is as we walk through life based upon the meditation that we had done. Another father in the faith said it takes three things to make a well-grounded Christian. Reading, praying, suffering. Same thing. A Tozer, his observation is this. He goes, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. The way I've always heard it stated was this. Before God can use a man greatly or significantly, he must wound him deeply. And oftentimes that's the case because God must bring us to the end of ourselves and show us how truly weak we are without him. How much we are dependent and totally reliant upon him. Sometimes God has to take us to the point where he shows that there is nothing left within us that can address this situation. The only thing that I can do is lean on the everlasting arms of Jesus. Because Jesus loves us, he sometimes takes us into the overwhelming circumstances of life to test us because he knows that that is the only place that we can come to know him as he truly is. And we can experience him and the, the true love and the grace that he gives. Now, I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I need to hear this over and over and over. This has been one of the most frustrating weeks, and I would never classify the struggles that I had this week as anywhere close to the kind of trials that I'm talking about. There are some people that are going through things where they have chronic pain in their life, and it doesn't go away. There are people who have lost loved ones and that pain is so real. Or maybe the Lord has changed their circumstances in a way that they didn't want them to change. And they are in these new circumstances and there's nothing they can do about it. And they are truly wrestling. And Christ wants us to know that we are to rest in Him. That sometimes He needs to take us to those places. You know, aren't we prone to put ourselves at the center of our own private worlds? You know, sure, we might know better intellectually that really everything is about God, but truly, isn't us? Don't we put ourselves at the center of our lives? Don't we interpret all the circumstances in our lives and how it affects us? And so somewhere deep, in, deep down inside, we still believe that Jesus is all about my comfort and my prosperity. We, we think that if I'm just faithful to him, that he's going to work everything else out in my life. Everything should work out for me. Jesus won't let me down. And then the crisis strikes and providence brings some unforeseen hardship or loss or pain. And we just can't accommodate it in our understanding of the Christian life. Because the Christian life is all about me being faithful and then Jesus fixing everything in a way that would make me happy. And then when it seems as though he doesn't, the whole fabric of our conviction begins to fall apart. 
we begin to wonder if He really cares, if He really loves me. You see, He'd, he'd take care of me. You know, He'd heal my loved ones. He'd resolve my financial crisis. If He really loved me, I wouldn't, this wouldn't be so hard, this thing that I'm going through. Jesus, don't you care that I'm perishing? We say that all the time, do we not, brothers and sisters? And these words, though, may never come out of our mouth, but I can guarantee you they rattle around in our heads as we wrestle with these things. But it's in those moments we've misread the providence of God. As Jesus led the disciples into the storm, it wasn't a lack of care for them that brought him there. It was his love that brought them there, that they might know him in a way that they would never know him. Sometimes it takes a storm or an overwhelming circumstance in our lives to lay bare our hearts before not only God, but before ourselves, because we don't really see our hearts or understand it, to show us that we are not where we thought we were. Maybe we thought we were more spiritual. Maybe we thought our faith was sure and solid in the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's not. And maybe you've become content with your progress in the faith, and, and you have become somewhat complacent. And it pleases God to bring an unexpected crisis into your life. And you discover that the faith that you once thought that you had that was solid and immovable begins to crumble and fall down around you. You begin to doubt whether God really cares. You know, I have little doubt that one of the reasons that the Lord brought them into the crisis that they were in was to show the disciples their true, the true condition of their hearts to show these men that they were not there where they thought they were in terms of their relationship with Christ. It was the overwhelming circumstances that brought their lack of faith to light. Now, notice that they not only doubted his care, but they also doubted his word because he said to them, let's go to the other side of the lake. But now, at this point in time with the storm and everything, they're really doubting whether his word is true, whether he could get them to the other side of the lake. The disciples have allowed the noise of the storm to silence the authority of Jesus' words. Don't we sometimes find that in our own lives as well? You allow the circumstances of your life to silence the authority of the truth of God's word and his commands and his promises. And you forget to look to them and to know that he is trustworthy and he is true. But Jesus took these men through this storm because faith doesn't grow in a greenhouse under perfect conditions but it grows where it's exposed to the elements. I remember years ago reading about in California how the certain grower of wines decided that they were going to provide the perfect environment for their grapes so that the wine would taste better. And so they spent all this money. They, they protected their plants from all the elements and everything. They produced their wine, and it was awful. They had to throw it out. And then what they come to find out later on was it was the harshness of the elements that caused the plants to grow in such a way that made the fruit of the vine so sweet. And so it's the same with us. We may not like the adversity and the trials, but they are God's means of putting muscle into our faith. They are God's ways of explaining to us and revealing to us how capable and worthy and dependable He is. So if we never go through crisis, we'll never experience these things about God. Life's trials are used by God to lay bare our hearts and to develop 
and strengthen and increase our faith. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is still teaching you in the storms, in the dark providences that you are going through, in the painful trials. He is teaching you the same lesson he was teaching the disciples. There is nowhere safer to be than with Jesus in the midst of those trials. He is your comfort. You really can trust him to lead you through it. Not necessarily always to take you out of those trials, but he will always lead you through the trials. Sometimes he walks through those trials at a very slow pace. I mean, you're walking through this trial and you would swear snails are zipping by you. And he will lead you safely to the other shore. Well, the third thing I want us to see, and that is that Jesus reveals to us who he is in the overwhelming circumstances of life. He reveals who he is in the overwhelming circumstances of life. Notice the, 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 the contrast between Jesus and the disciples. You know, Jesus is sleeping. Now, as a preacher, someone who teaches and preaches, I'm worn out when I get done preaching and teaching. I, 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 so I understand this. You know, from a human perspective, Jesus was probably exhausted. But there seemed to be a whole lot more to this than just Jesus being tired. There was a sense of, of peace, a sense of trusting God. But the disciples, they panicked because they didn't understand the sovereign purpose of God and his unpleasant providence. And so they, were, they come to Jesus and they wake him up and, and, and he rebukes the wind and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And then we read in verse 40, He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, what happens with these disciples is, they were once afraid of the sea, but now there's a new fear that fills their heart. It's a fear of seeing Christ for who he is. Now, now, the word that, that is used here for the disciples' fear of the storm really means cowardice. Uh, it, it's a terror. When they saw the storm, there was terror in their heart. They were afraid they were going to die, and so it's a cowardice fear. But the word that Mark uses to describe the response of the disciples when they saw Jesus say, Be still! And immediately, hurricane-level winds just calmed. There was even a greater fear there. It's, it's a different word that he used. It's a fear, a, a great fear. And, and, and so if, if you read uh, the end of this account, literally it says, they feared a great fear and said to one another, who is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. The great fear that fills them is the proper response of us as creatures towards our creator. The presence of Jesus is more fearful to them than the storm. And as terrified as the disciples were by the hurricane-strength winds, the, that fear paled in comparison to the fear that they felt in the presence of the one who calmed the winds. And the only way not to fear the things of this world, brothers and sisters, is by the power of a higher, deeper, sweeter fear known as the fear of the Lord. We know Proverbs talks about the fear of the Lord it gives us wisdom, right? The, it's the holy wonder, the fear of the Lord. It's the holy wonder and reverential awe that bows before the Lord Jesus and names him 
is Lord is all, is Lord of all. It's not a sense of fearing the wind or the waves, but it's the fear of the Lord that is the great fear. Tremble before the God-man, the Lord and giver of life, who gave his life that you might live. That's a fear that drives out all other fears. One who fears the Lord need fear nothing and, and no one else. Brothers and sisters, our hearts are far too small not to fear, aren't they? But the question is, what fear will you have? Which fear will you have? Will you have a fear that overwhelms us? Uh, the panic that, that we won't cope when hard providences come? Is that the kind of fear that we have? That we will have? We typically struggle with fearing the things of this world because we think we should be sufficient for every challenge, right? And when we find ourselves not able to handle something, that is just a shock to us because subconsciously, if nothing else, there's just this unspoken thought in our heads that we should be able to handle it. It might be tough, but we should be able to get through this. We're overconfident. We're far too self-assured. We've put ourselves at the center of the story. But when you come to realize our, our life story and the story of all things is the story of Jesus, that he is the center of the story, when you come to trust in him and rest in him, when the fear of the Lord holds your heart, then all other fears must depart. They must go away. They can't hold you. So which fear is going to rule you today? The fear of the storm or the fear of the Lord. Let's bow your heads for a time of silence, meditation. Lord, we confess to you that we have put ourselves in the center of the story and we do that all the time. We tell ourselves the lie that we are sufficient for whatever is waiting around the next bin. Lord, and then we get there and we realize that we're not. We're, we're overwhelmed and panic sets in. Fear strikes our hearts. And we find ourselves, God, accusing you, saying, God, you don't really care. If you really cared, you would smooth my path and ease my passage and make everything okay for me. We've forgotten the words um, that we oftentimes sing, that, that even the inward trials that so wound us are implored by your hand from self and pride to set us free, that we may find our all in you. Oh Lord, please give in 
please give to us the fear, the fear of the Lord, that sweet, reverent, trembling awe that trusts the great King, the Lord of all creation, the Lord Jesus. And Lord, may that fear expel all other fears that we may have of things around us. And help us, O oh Lord, to trust in you. Lord, we especially want to pray this morning for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and pray and pray that you would fill their hearts with the fear of the Lord. And that your peace that passes all understanding in Christ Jesus would rest upon them. Lord, we thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.